You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Okay, good morning or good evening everybody who is listening now. And we are at Kulturum here. And I'm Nicolina Wackerberg, development leader from Kulturum. And I, I look at uh, Paul Batalden, who is uh, sitting here and uh, a guest in our place today. Paul, you have been coaching for uh, many years. Can you tell me a bit about your experience as a coach? Well, thank you, Nicolina. It's good to be with you today. Um, I have had the privilege of being a coach for maybe 50 years. And as I have reflected, on that time, um, what I have been coaching and watching coaching and being coached uh, is uh, a lot of different observations about how to coach and what it feels like to be coached and um, what the aim of coaching is. And so it's all of these things that sort of come together when you invite me to have this conversation with you. So uh, you will have to help me stay on track because there's lots of things that we could talk about. And I only want to talk about the things that are of greatest importance to you and to the people who are listening to this as you know them. So Yeah, well, I think we have people who are just starting as coaches. Mm -hmm. And I think we have very experienced coaches. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make it very easy for you. Mm -hmm. But maybe we could start to, as a beginner coach, are there some, some lessons you learned? Yeah, I think that um, we, we could probably just jump to the bottom line and work from there. We can work back uh, as we need to. But for me, um, uh, coaching is something that I do, but it is something that is done for another person. And uh, a coach, in my view, is someone who is trying to help another person be as good as they can possibly be. And someone who is engaged in um, reflective practice. So they are open to taking some feedback about what is going. So I'm working with someone who wants to do the best they can and someone who is open to some feedback or observation or some um, 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 something that has been noticed that might be helpful to them. Um, so so how, how do you know that? How do you know that you have a person who is open for feedback? Well, I think we need to talk about the relationship before we enter it. Yeah. So I don't just drop out of the sky, but I come basically introduced to somebody as someone who is interested in helping that individual in some way be uh, uh, the very best uh, at what they're doing uh, to the uh, limits of my ability to sort of notice and to, and to uh, uh, share with that person what I have seen. And underneath this is, is a deep familiarity with what it means to be a health professional. So I am not a factory coach, I am a health professional. So I was trained as a doctor uh, worked as a pediatrician, um, 
and I have lived my life around health professional settings. And so I have um, been doing that now for uh, maybe 60 years. And so there's a long time that I have been watching what goes on in healthcare settings, what leaders do, what um, health professionals working as individuals or as groups do. And so um, it begins with this preparation, I guess, for me, that I actually know something about the, the territory that I'm sort of working in. Do you think it's important that you are a healthcare professional as a coach, or do you think we can just buy a coach and consult? Well, I'm sure there are some things that people who do not have health professional preparation uh, can offer that are different and maybe um, uh, serve to complement what uh, someone who is a health professional. But for me, um, being a health professional um, uh, is uh, key to my ability to help a health professional work. When I have had the unusual time of working outside of healthcare and to be a coach in that setting, usually what I find is that I, I will make an observation and then I will say, but in healthcare, this is what I, I, I would see in the way we would use that. I don't know how you would use it. And as a coach, I have learned that I, I never really know what anybody else should do. So what I do as a coach is I try to open uh, a reflection about something or an observation about something, but I try not to be uh, involved in telling someone what they should do. I, I, I think that's, um, it doesn't fit with the way I think about how smart people behave. And I really enjoy working with smart people. Yes, yes. Uh, and we, we know that the telling part is not always so very constructive. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Mm. So, it, it begins for me with this uh, orientation about uh, the work itself, the healthcare work or the improvement work, and, and uh, uh, or when groups of people are trying to work together and leaders are trying to function. So, it there's an orientation for me about the work itself that has been helpful. And uh, I'm a curious person. So I have been reading about this uh, for many years and with very little, um, you don't have to provoke me very much to get me to read something. I'm right curious. And so I love to sort of explore stuff. And so that orientation is the base from which I then um, am prepared to notice some things. And, but uh, I have to then, after my preparation, uh, I have to make an agreement with somebody that I should be in this role as a coach or as an observer or as somebody to give somebody uh, the benefit of what my uh, observations have been. When you, what do you, see what I, my orientation plays into what I observe because you, we only see what we are prepared to see. So my orientation has prepared me to see uh, what in fact I, I see. And that is what I'm gonna tell somebody about or I'm gonna give them some uh, uh, reaction about. And, and, and my own belief is that because I am most often working with really smart people, they are going to do what makes sense to them to do. So the focus of my coaching and, and my uh, 
observation is is back in that space where they are making sense of what they're seeing uh, so that they can take the actions that they are taking. So often I will be working at, how did you come to that? Or go back to this little situation when you did this and this was happening. How, how, did, you, how did you put that together? How, so I might open with a question. Not, uh, and the question might be, how did that person uh, make sense of what they were seeing? Because it's in that frame of, that they are using, or it is in uh, the way they are interpreting the uh, signals that they are observing, um, that their orientation is being established for the task of uh, coaching or uh, leading uh, in some way. And, and so my sense is uh, I'm working with the person who is a leader or who is a follower or who is a member of, of some effort and that person is trying to do their best and they're trying to make sense of what they are being asked to do. So uh, there's many different levels at which this coaching is going on. It's sometimes going on with the member, for example, of a team. Sometimes the coaching is going on with the leader of the team. Sometimes the coaching is going on with the coach of the team. So it's been many different layers of this coaching for me. Yeah, but even if it is many different layers, um, you're talking about the important part of sense making. Yes. It doesn't matter in which, if, yes. if you're in the micro. Or in... Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Because whatever role you may have, you're taking action on the basis of what makes sense to you. Yes. And so basically, as a coach coming to you, what I am working on is the way you have made sense of that. So I'm curious about how you have made sense of that. And so the, 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 the opening conversations uh, might uh, certainly be informed by my understanding of what needed to happen right there. But I'm actually curious about how you made sense of that, because what I'm interested in is to couple what I saw with what, how you made sense of it. So if you are coaching for improvement in healthcare yeah. here, here in yeah. Sweden, we are giving people a, 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 the goal or the, the aim. Yeah. And then they said, oh, OK, you can get a coach to your team. Yeah. Um, and so the goal and the, the aim is already set. So how, how can you ask people then? Well, so how do you understand this goal? I understand that people have established this aim for the work on improving. How do you understand that? So I might invite uh, the person to describe how they have made sense of that aim or goal first so that we are working from a shared understanding of what the aim is. Because if what they tell me in response to that question is something very different than the way I would understand that. I use that as a signal to try to understand uh, how I may have misinterpreted what it was or how they may have a different interpretation based on their experience, much more closely related uh, to the aim. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, sometimes a coach can, can be very pushy because 
um, you had this aim and you had maybe also a timeline and then you can get the feeling oh do we really have the time to to discuss this yeah. sense making yeah. or shall we just go for the goal and go for the activities and that's a dilemma of a lot of coaches yeah i i think that um uh i want to work with whole people mm -hmm. their heads yeah. their hands and their hearts People who don't have time to invite the whole person to show up sometimes want only the hands. That doesn't work very well for very long in healthcare because in healthcare services, what you're dealing with is smart people trying to do complicated work. And you can play games thinking that if I get their hands, then it will all be fine. If I just sort of get them to do it faster or something like that. That never works. It, it, you, they may do it while you're there, but when you leave, they do whatever the hell they want. And so basically the challenge is, I think, to get a shared understanding of what the aim is. You don't have to spend 20 hours on it. it you just have to sort of understand that you're, you're getting agreement because this is another person that you're working with. Yeah, so the basic is the sense-making. Yeah. And, and if you don't put any time the basic, then you'll maybe just get some activities done. Well, you'll take the time usually anyway, yeah. but you may take the time fixing what you got started in the wrong way. And so I just think it's simpler and actually quicker to start with getting a shared aim. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, yes. Uh, and after that? Well, then the question is, uh, uh, we, uh, there is a, 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 I think, a man who has been very, uh, thoughtful about this, who said that if you truly wish to understand a system, you should try to change it, yes. Kurt Lewin. And, and I think that um, as you begin to move from an aim to an understanding of a system that you wish to work better, because every system really does uh, do perfectly well what it is designed to do, and so it's only as we change the design of the system that we can expect the system to change. So we start with a name, and then we need to understand the way the system is currently working. And you don't want to spend too much time on that because quite frankly, you're going to learn a lot um, when you try to test a change. And you may actually learn even more when you try to test a change than when you have carefully drawn out every possible way in which a system might work with whatever sticky notes or something you might want to think of as a as a way to represent what's going on. So I, I, my sense is that you want to have some understanding of the way the current system works and, and the way it it doesn't work. Uh, and And because it obviously works some of the time for some people under some conditions, or it wouldn't have gotten to be the way it is. And so the question is, how, how does it work when it's working well? And then how does it work when it's not working well? And what might we do to change it? So you don't want to spend too much time on that, but you want to open that space a little bit. And so as a coach of uh, a team who is trying to work on that, I might try to invite them to think a little bit about the way the current situation uh, works. So the what some people describe as the as-is functioning of the system the current state of the way the thing is. And then I might uh, uh, try to understand more deeply the way that 
uh, the patient. In my view, in healthcare services, there's always two parties that are at work with a service. One who is the professional, one who is the patient, but we call we struggle with the name we give the patient. Sometimes we call the person a client. Sometimes we call the person a, a the Dutch. Uh, I love these Dutch obstetricians who said that um, uh, that we should think of these individuals as tiff caps. T i f k a p. Uh, the individuals formerly known as patients, and so uh, what they have suggested is that. Um, we have to understand them as people. And so we have to understand their lived reality, not just the person who comes into the doctor's office and becomes whoever they become when they see the doctor. So um, you want to understand the system as it is. You want to understand something about the lived reality of the TIF cap or the persons who we sometimes know as patients. Uh, and I think you want to understand something about the um, way that science has informed the practice. Uh, some people like to call that evidence-based. Uh, I think um, I prefer uh, to think of it as scientifically informed practice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a little more humble. And uh, yeah, I, I was in a um, conference in Lisbon and they also said it's uh, more evidence-informed. Yes. Because the context is always different. Yes, yes. So may maybe we should um, be humble about this yes. evidence-based. Yes. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. So it, you, you want the team to have some sense of the current situation. You want the team to have some sense of the um, lived reality of the persons who are patients. And you want to have some understanding of the aim and why that's strategically important. And so it's these four things. I don't forget the order now, but it's the aim the lived reality of the patient, the as-is current state, and then the science that informs that, those practices. So those four things become critical in getting going. But you can't spend too much time on that because you, um, people get weary of spending too much time on that. Yeah, I recognize that, that the people, when they want to go somewhere, they are already in a movement we want to go. Yes. So they, yeah. they are not so happy to, right. okay, what's the current state? Right. Because they already want to, to move towards the right. goal and to right. the aim. Right. And sometimes the energy is really dropping when you say, oh, we need yeah. to have a baseline, yes. right. we need to have right. the current state. So, so how are you balancing that? Well, when people ask me that, I usually say, well, let's take three times when we meet to build some further knowledge, but let's not take too much more time than that. Good. And so it's tough. Uh, it means you have to move pretty quickly to do this. And I think another big trap is when you believe that all the work that is to be done will occur in a meeting. I, I tend to think of meetings as, as um, uh, moments to accelerate the work, not as the time when the work is to be done. And so we, we try to, I try to encourage people to think about all the things that can be done when we're not meeting so that when we do meet, we can usually bring it together and move quicker. And catch the learning in yes. the meeting. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, there is also something it's called paralysis by analysis. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, so that's why you say let's just have three meetings. Yeah, well, that's the rule of thumb that I've developed because I, I, people are willing to give you, um, um, it depends, of course, but people are often willing to give you three meetings 
but if after three meetings you're not ready to try something and people have come together in their own mind already with a, an intervention in mind, um, you will struggle to keep them interested in much more uh, detailed analysis. Uh, um, but if you, if you don't know enough about the system or if you don't know enough about the strategy and the aim and if you don't know enough about the lived reality and if you don't know enough about the science, you will spend an enormous amount of time wasting people's time. But what is, what is enough? Well, what is enough? Yeah, and, and I was um, um, uh, reading about uh, some thumb roll and it's, you don't need to have it perfect. Uh, just have about 80% of it. Do, yeah. you, do you agree with that? Well, I don't know. It's hard for me to put a number on it, but it's enough. Uh, and uh, I might ask people, do we know enough? I mean, because oh, okay. if, if the people are not with you, whether you think it's enough or not, um, it, it doesn't going to matter because uh, if they don't think it's enough, then they're going to be doubting all the way along and they will, they will make their doubt a limitation on the ability of the group to go forward. And so part of the challenge, it seems to me, is to um, get general agreement that we have enough to try something. Mm, but that's quite interesting because I'm coaching both doctors, nurses and other people. And I have the feeling that for the doctors, is it's never enough. They want to have more statistics. They want to have more, more to build on. Um, and probably because they are trained. They are trained like that. But it can be quite difficult to move them forward. So, so still I would like to explore this. What, what's enough and how can we coach it? Well, I think that diversity is a gift. Because, quite frankly, if the group all has the same idea about whether there's enough, there's no invitation for you to come back and figure out, well, what else might we learn? Or Obviously, we didn't know this when we got to where we are. Uh, would have been nice if we'd figured that out. I wonder if there's anything else that we should figure out. So I, 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 I will play off of the, the differences. and if, Or others may say, you know, I'm sick and tired of this analysis. I want to try something. So... I like to then uh, honor that as well. So I want the group to sort of give the group permission to proceed because if people in the group uh, have their differences but have them so strongly that they are going to sort of be a hidden resistance in the, in the progression of the work, I would just as soon have that on the table. Uh, sometimes I will even sort of, there's a man um, who, uh, from Germany who is, uh, written uh, about um, the logic of failure, a man, Dietrich Dörner, which I love this book. Um, and he's talking about, in that book, uh, the importance of inviting um, uh, the skeptics in an in a, in a effort uh, by, by asking, well, um, if we go ahead with trying this, what are you worried we're going to lose? What, what do we have to be careful to recognize that, that we might be losing when we try to make this change that we're talking about so that we understand even more anticipating what the, what the uh, improvement might do to what, what we actually is, is very important or, or that we value in, in the process. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. So when you have a diversity in a group, you are not 
stopping people, but you keep the diversity that somebody yeah. can go on with the evidence and yeah. somebody can just start and test it. But still you say in three meetings we want to move. So about three meetings. It's about. just a rule of thumb because uh, um, most of the people are willing to be a little curious, yeah. but they are not ready to write a PhD about it. Okay. So, I think Paul, I want to thank you very much for this interview and um, maybe we can do a follow-up. Sure. Um, so is there some, some summary you want to say? And Well, um, what we've talked about is sort of the front end of, uh, of the uh, coaching relationship. And uh, we've started to talk about what uh, kinds of interactions during the coaching m might go on. We haven't talked much about uh, near the end of a of an activity and uh, coaching as people try to put a ribbon on things and tie it up. Um, Can we make a part two? Sure. Okay. So um, if I now just um, say thank you very much everybody for listening to this and you're very welcome to hear the part two who will start uh, when you ever are ready for it. Bye for now. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden.